Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Ah! Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be. Another championship edition of the Caper of the Games podcast. Blake Cripps, Thomas Caster, Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Tommy, you know, we say a lot of things for hyperbole on this program. We talk a lot in, you know, the extremes, what may happen, what may not happen, what if this happens. Uh, Tommy, I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind. It is the greatest era of Chiefs football. It's not close. What a time to be a fan of the world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. I have never been so happy to see your ugly face on this podcast <laughs> because I wasn't sure that we were going to do a show this week. We had we had said we were only going to do a show of Kansas City one, uh, but here we are. I'm I'm gazing at your face <laughs> right now, and I couldn't be happier. I, I could not be happier to be here. I I already I'm I'm also have never been more thrilled to pay forty dollars for a T-shirt that has no business costing more than nineteen ninety nine. Uh, I can't wait to wear it out on Friday. Uh, you know, it. there are so many, you know, obviously, follow us online. We're on Facebook. Keeper of the Games, at Cogpod on Twitter. Our Twitter handles are at the bottom if you're watching. We're on YouTube, Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games. All the platforms, Spotify, you know, all, you, can, you know where to get us. Like, share, and subscribe. We appreciate the support so much. There's exactly one topic on the show today, and we know that Wichita State had a great overtime win, and Kansas State ended up coming back with a huge win against TCU, and KU obliterated Oklahoma by about 1,000. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big 12 early. Wichita State softball is underway. Wichita State baseball is underway. Uh, and we may touch on all that. We may touch on none of that. Tommy, this show is about the Kansas City Chiefs, what they were able to accomplish, the second team to ever come from double figures down at the half to win a Super Bowl. This is about Patrick Mahomes, his legacy. This is about the Chiefs franchise, how many consecutive AFC championships, another Super Bowl appearance, a second Super Bowl trophy. This is about the Hunt family, what they have built in Kansas City in such a short time. This is about Andy Reid, where his place in the Pantheon is in terms of the all-time coaching greats. Of course, last time it was one to legitimize his claim as one of the all-time coaching greats. Now he is moving up the Pantheon. There's so many people that this win means so much to uh, you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time may end up as the greatest quarterback of all time one of the greatest tight ends of all time may end up as the greatest tight end of all time and the interesting thing is how many people said oh you know this chiefs team might not win the afc west this year uh, it all seems rather amusing now doesn't it i was one of them I was one of sure. them. I mean, I've got the receipts. I'll be honest. I picked the Chargers to win the AFC West. Um, so, you know, this was supposed to be 
a retooling year. It was supposed to be a rebuilding year. It can't be better without Tyreek Hill, right? Here we are. Here we are. The first one, the first one three years ago was about getting the monkey off their back and getting the monkey off the back of Kansas City fans. Of an entire fan base, yes. That was the first one. This one was about legacy and building that legacy. Um, the, The legacy of Patrick Mahomes as the greatest quarterback on the planet currently and potentially maybe of all time, depending on where his career pans out from here. Maybe. Who knows? But it certainly puts him in rarefied it's air. On the path. Legacy for Andy Reid. The number of teams, the number of coaches, the number of quarterbacks, the number of the pairings of coach and quarterback that have one Super Bowl in history, there's a lot of them. There aren't as many that have two. Nope. And there aren't as many that have more. So you've taken a step up the ladder. Uh, you're climbing that summit. Um, I'll tell you, for Andy Reid, two and two all time in Super Bowls in his career sounds a whole hell of a lot better than one and three does. Sure. Um, you know, and so it was about legacy. It was about the legacy of this current franchise and its current iteration. It was for the fan base who I believe, and I'm one of them, and I think you are too, believe that you cannot absolutely one bit take any of this for granted. No. Because it is so fleeting and it could go away in a heartbeat. So soak it in, live it up, and enjoy this. It was for all of that. It was for the legacy more than anything else. And there was a period of time where I wasn't sure they were going to get it done, but they did. So many different storylines about this. Um, You know, from the Chiefs starting the game, you know, giving up the touchdown, answering back, then going into the halftime break, down by 10, the doink, there are so many major moments in this game. You know, we'll get to all of them as we can um, in this show. You know, I think that you have to start with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes going against Jalen Hurts for the second straight week. Some idiot on this show that might be on the left side of your screen said that, you know, oh, gee, I guess maybe the other quarterback that may have an advantage because a healthy Jalen Hurts is going to be better than a uh, a hurt Patrick Mahomes. And uh, the idiot who's talking right now uh, may have been wrong on that for the second straight week. <laughs> uh, Patrick Mahomes didn't try to do too much. He was 21 for 27, three touchdowns, didn't have a huge explosive, didn't go for 500 yards, but he had 182 really, really important yards. The Chiefs had a huge advantage in special teams in this game, despite the doink. Yeah. But Patrick Mahomes, 131.8 passer rating. And in a game in which at halftime, you know, I was wondering, gosh, is he even going to be able to walk in the second half? Is he going to play in the second half? And there were people at my party and I said, you know, if I have to put my hopes on one quarterback in the history of football, and say, I want this guy at 50% or this guy at 75%. I don't know what percent he was at. I will take an injured Patrick Mahomes over any other injured quarterback in history. I will stake my position on that now, that Patrick Mahomes is the best injured quarterback in the history of football. And we have not just this game. We have a volume of work. Even on the first Super Bowl run, he wasn't healthy, 100% healthy at the end of that. He sure as hell hasn't been healthy the last two games for Kansas City this season. 
and somehow he has found a way to win the biggest games of his life while he's not 100%. And to me, like I said, so many other moments, but that 26-yard scramble at the end of the game when you know you were thinking, you know, how much does he have? And he is able to gut it out and you juxtaposition that against a Cam Newton maybe five, six years ago when there's that fumble and he doesn't dive for it. He doesn't even go for it. He just kind of push right. patty cakes his way around it. And you have Patrick Mahomes diving for balls, making the tough yardage, running 26 yards on a high ankle sprain that would have kept other guys out. Um, you know, a lot of this legacy stuff, a lot of this big picture stuff that we're talking about today, it's about 15. 100%. And I know you're a, a, a longtime sports junkie, of course. Um, as am I. So you're going to you're gonna recognize some of these other examples. I put what Patrick Mahomes did in the Super Bowl, and especially that 26-yard run, up in the same category as the following. Michael Jordan, the, the flu, flu game, game in 1998. Kirk Gibson hitting the game-winning <laughs> home run in the World Series. We'll see you the Dodgers tomorrow night. Uh, and Kurt Schilling, the bloody sock in the World Series for the Red sure. Sox. All of those examples, they powered through. They pushed through. They dug deep. They found something deep within themselves that I'm going to be the first one to sit here and say, I've never had to gut, gut through anything like that before. Like, I wouldn't know what that's like. I can't compare myself to any of that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, sure, I've been in pain before for different things, but I wasn't in excruciating pain having to perform at the highest level on the largest stage. Never been there before. Nope. Um, so I, I would absolutely put that up with the all-time greats as far as gutting through performances uh, when it ultimately mattered the most. And so, I don't know. I, I think that with... Patrick Mahomes and what he showed and what he accomplished in that moment, in that entire situation. Um, you know, I, I, to be honest, Jalen Hurts had a better stat line last night. I thought Jalen Hurts played terrific last night he in was. that game. It's too bad that, too bad that uh, you know, a lot of times, most of the time, the losing team doesn't get the MVP because I thought Jalen Hurts was incredible and had the stat line to back it up. But Patrick Mahomes did something superhuman last night and was able to find a way to make it work. And on top of that, it wasn't just the execution and the performance. It was the adjustments and the play calling and the scheme in the second half to where it was flawless and perfect. I saw a stat that just blew me away that in the second half, Kansas City had 231 yards available offensively on their drives combined 231 yards on every single drive in the second half they gained 228 out of the 231 <laughs> possible in the and second they could half have gained the and last the only, three right well and the only and actually that number is a little bit smaller because they ran around and kneeled sure on that final drive uh but they were flawless and they had to be that was the only way that they were going to win that game was they had to play a perfect second half and they did no turnovers no penalties no sacks uh, only one incompletion, and that was a throwaway that Patrick Mahomes had in the end zone. It was flawless. It was perfect. And that's a credit to the legacy of Andy Reid by making those adjustments, because I'll be honest with you, it looked pretty bleak going into halftime. 
Well, and also I'm going to throw the first correction on myself. I believe that home run call was from the Minnesota Twins' Kirby Puckett. What I should have said is, I don't believe what I just (laughs) saw. And, you know, which is very apropos for this when you mentioned Gibson juxtaposed with Patrick Mahomes. You know, the the Chiefs' defense had a very difficult assignment. They really did shut down the Philadelphia running running game except for Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, I think, made many of the biggest plays in the game. He certainly had the biggest down the field. Uh, he had the longest passes of the game by far. Had two. That's where I'm an idiot. Like you, you called yourself out. It was last week on this show that I said the best way to defend Jalen Hurts was to contain him in the pocket and make him throw a deep. <laughs> and he did. And he was dropping dimes left and right. I mean, the guy was incredible. It was infuriating to watch him beat double coverage. More than once. And they also, the Eagles pretty much executed their game plan. They controlled the ball. They did have a running game. It was not the percentage that we really expected it to be. It wasn't dynamic. I mean, they ran the ball 32 times, 115 yards. It's not like they, you know, the Chiefs actually had more running yards than they did. But, you know, Jalen Hurts was pretty much unguardable. He had four touchdowns in the game. Um, I think in terms of the positive he did, he did the most positive for any team. He had a critical mistake. The, he had the biggest negative play that anybody had. Obviously, Harrison Bucker missing that field goal could have turned out to be ac- extremely massive for Kansas City. Um, but you know, Jalen Hurts did a, a so much positive. But Philadelphia, in this game, controlled the clock. They had 11, almost 12 minutes more time of possession than Kansas City. They were nauseatingly good on third down. If I swear, if if the Chiefs lost this game, I was going to be thinking, you can't stop a quarterback sneak one time in the game. Everybody on the planet knows it's happening, and they're just going to whip us up front again. And Jay, and you know, Jason Kelsey was going to say, yeah, yeah we are. We're going to get one yard or two yeah. yards, and that you're not going to do anything about it. And I'm going to talk about or it. Or even on a third and... Even on a third and 14, when Dallas Goddard makes an incredible catch. Like, I felt like I was watching the ASC championship game from 2019, I think it was, with the Chiefs and the Patriots. Sure. And Bob Sutton's defense, they they could never get off the field on third down. I felt like I was watching that again. They went 11 for 18. They controlled the clock. And it didn't matter. The Kansas City Chiefs, even in the highest leverage situation where the offense knew like you mentioned, that there was really no room for error in the second half. They got every single score that they needed to get, and they didn't necessarily look like they were rushed at any point. They weren't harried at any point, unlike in some previous games, a a loss to the Bengals in the AFC Championship game last season where the Chiefs needed more out of the offense in the second half and the offense just kind of disappeared in the Tampa Bay Super Bowl loss where all the Chiefs really needed to do was to protect Patrick Mahomes and the offensive line just really never had any answers. And the Chiefs, Mm -hmm. consequently, offensively, never really looked comfortable in this game. In this game, their veteran leadership showed up. And they were able to make the key conversions. They were only four of eight on third down. They didn't have to go for it on fourth down, but it seemed like in the second half, 
every single time a play needed to be made. And there wasn't, you know, you think back in this game, and obviously the punt return was absolutely massive. Not that the Chiefs couldn't have gone down and scored anyway, but it was absolutely massive to set up the Chiefs for that score. There was never a point in this game where you looked at the Chiefs' offense in the second half and thought, man, these guys just don't look comfortable. These guys all looked like, you know what? We've got Patrick Mahomes. We've got Andy Reid. We've got Eric Bieniemy, Travis Kelsey. And I will give myself some credit since I called myself an idiot a couple of times. Isaiah Pacheco had a very tidy game running the football. Yeah, he did. 15 for 76, one touchdown. It's not going to get him an MVP. It's not going to get him compared to Terrell Davis or Eric Dickerson or Emmett Smith or any of these other you know Hall of Fame guys. But Isaiah Pacheco had some very, very nice runs for Kansas City. Jarek McKinnon had a couple of very nice runs for Kansas City, four for 34. And those guys, along with the leadership of Patrick Mahomes, the offense just kind of held it together and said, you know what, defense? We just need you to be good enough. And the defense had a couple of forced field goals. They got a couple of key little stops, a couple of punts. They were just good enough, and the offense said, you know what? We're great. We don't need you to be good. We just need you to be okay. We're going to take care of it today. And they did. Well, and you mentioned Jarek McKinnon, and that's one of the highest IQ football plays that I've ever seen in my life when he got down at the one yard line. I wonder if they talked about that. I I would think that they would have have to have talked about that. I'm sure they did. Because Philly just let it, like, they just backed off and they were going to let him walk in. Oh, absolutely. And and at that point, why not? Because. The Philly offense was clicking, and at that point, uh, you know, there were some timely plays that the Kansas City defense made throughout the game, the forced fumble and, you know, all of that. Uh, some, Almost had some another third down stops They weren't able to. But overall, um, Philly was moving the ball at will. And so I'm sure that that thought was, all right, let McKinnon score. We'll get the ball back with two minutes to go or whatever. And then we have supreme confidence in our offense to march right down and, and score and tie, if not take the lead with a two-point conversion. Uh, and so, but the fact that McKinnon got down at the one and, you know, the clock ran and they ran out of timeouts and they never, that the last time, the only other time they touched the ball was with like four seconds left. That was a high IQ football play. But just for like the running we've game always entirely, talked about, Tommy, master clock manager Andy Reid coming yeah. in in the clutch. Yeah. yeah. Okay, sure. That's a little tongue in cheek, but I get it. <laughs> it was um, today. I, but as far as the running game as a whole, you mentioned Isaiah Pacheco. It was a big issue uh, during the AFC Championship game that they could never get the run established. No, not really. Especially on first down. You know, they were maybe running for a yard or two uh, in the AFC title game on first down, and it was constantly setting up second and longs, third and longs, so on and so forth. Where Pacheco, and what I love about him running is that he acts like every single carry he gets is going to be the last one he ever gets in his entire career. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is awesome. Uh, but he was consistent consistently gaining four, five, six yards of carry every time, which is a much more manageable second down or third down for Patrick Mahomes to work through. So I thought that was a a big time deal too. I don't think the Chiefs win the game without the contributions of Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. Um, But, you know, overall, I felt like offensively for Kansas City, we knew that the style that the Chiefs play versus the ultra 
aggressive play that the Eagles have with Nick Sirianni, it was going to be different. I didn't. I never one time when it was like fourth and three and Harrison Bucker kicked the kicked the field goal that missed. Never one time did I think, oh, Andy Reid might be thinking about going for it here because that's not really what he does. Uh, now Nick Sirianni, on the other hand, you just knew that it was going to be four down territory a Pretty lot much with the Eagles anywhere past the fifty. Pretty much, and so there was it was conflicting styles, and I just thought when Butker missed the field goal, I thought, man, I hope this doesn't come back to bite Which the Chiefs. I, I believe if I heard that's you, going to be if I heard you correctly, we both you liked the call, and I also liked the call to kick. I, it wasn't that I liked it or didn't like it. I just expected it. I never expected them to go for it in that scenario because that's not what the Chiefs do. But I was worried that if that came back to bite the Chiefs, then we were going to hear the narrative of Nick Sirianni is this cutting edge coach. It's ultra aggressive. And maybe the game has passed Andy Reid by. That's what I was oh worried gosh. about. I was worried about that. I was worried about even all the way back to the coin flip when the Chiefs deferred to the second half and the argument of maybe the Chiefs should have taken the ball to at least get out to a lead early. So there were a couple of things in the first half that I was questioning or curious about. And then in the second half, Andy Reid showed why he's one of the best coaches of all time. Let's run down quarter by quarter and kind of go through the game a little bit here. You know, the Eagles do take the ball. The Chiefs um, ended a long streak. I think they said it was eight straight Super Bowls where the team that had won the coin toss had lost the game. And so the Chiefs were able to end that. But Jalen Hurts goes right down the field for the Eagles. It takes less than five minutes. And it was a very impressive drive for Philadelphia. I thought it was very big for Kansas City to answer back rather quickly themselves. They score about three minutes later on the Travis Kelsey 18-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes. And I know that Philadelphia got a lot of credit for their defense as being the most complete team coming into this game. And I'm not saying that they've necessarily played poorly, but I will say, you know, both defenses ranked statistically in the minus teens. But what I did think today in that game, or Sunday, I say today, I'm thinking today about the game on Sunday, is that there were several complete missed assignments by the Eagles. Whether or not that's great play design, I know that Greg Olson talked about a lot of times, like, oh, look at how this play for, we have everybody moving to the side, and then Travis Kelsey is the only one that's cutting against the grain on this cut, and that's why he's so wide open. And I'm sure, you know, some of that has to do with great route running by Travis Kelsey. Some of that has to do with moving the defense with the eyes by Mahomes and executing the throw. And some of that has to do, I'm sure, with the play design, which is, you know, Coach Reed and, and you know, give Coach Bienemy some credit too for calling the right play at the right time against the right defense. But I, I thought that in that first quarter, the Chiefs coming back and scoring as quickly as they did to keep pace with Philadelphia, because I heard a lot of the narrative last week was the Eagles are going to have to play in front. They're going to have to get ahead by two scores. That's how they win the game. They don't play well from behind. That's not what they're designed to do. So for the Chiefs to keep it level and keep it kind of on serve through the first 15 minutes, I thought was really big for the Chiefs psychologically. I thought so too. And, you know, the offensive line, you mentioned this before um, about how they were absolutely outplayed in the last Super Bowl against oh, the Buccaneers. Horrifically so. And, and that was a point of emphasis for Brett Veach to rebuild that offensive line, Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown. And they still were not an elite offensive line in comparison to the rest of the league, but they did their job. They didn't need to be. In the Super Bowl. Yeah, they did their job in the Super Bowl against the much touted 
front four of the Philadelphia Eagles, where you know they had the what the third most sacks all time. Yeah, uh, like I mean, that. They, they were they were great. And what did the offensive line do? Oh, they pitched a shutout. They didn't allow a single sack the entire game. And so they did what they needed to do. And it starts there, right? If if you're going to give Patrick Mahomes, injured or not, a relatively clean pocket most of the time, then he's going to be able to carve you up. And he didn't. He doesn't need to have, and he's never really really needed to have uh, top tier receivers outside of Travis Kelsey. Really, he made it work with Juju and Marquez Valdez Scantling and Kadarius Tony, who you know looks to be a great trade if he can stay healthy and on the field in future years. The rookie like Sky Moore. I mean, like there, it was kind of a hodgepodge of who was in the wide <laughs> yeah. receiver room. But it worked. And and so that's, again, a credit to Brett Veach and what he's done in building this team through the draft, uh, through great high-level draft picks and free agent signings of guys that are looking to prove it on cheap deals so they can go get paid potentially somewhere else. He's done that multiple times in multiple years. It's worked out really well. Tommy, did he make a high-level acquisition this year? I don't think so. I think the Chiefs add every single addition that they made was kind of a mid-level guy that we thought coming in like, eh, is this guy going to, what's he going to bring to the table? But they all worked I mean, out. Maybe, maybe as far as like a ceiling is concerned, maybe the Kadarius Tony trade because he was a former first round pick, right? So I guess you could say like the Widely potential was York. there. Right, for it to be a, a high-impact acquisition. But he, he paid pennies on the dollar yeah. for what he would have paid had they drafted him uh, in the first round. So they, you basically got a first-round draft pick for what would they give up, like a fourth and a fifth or something like that. I mean, it was crazy. You trade a fourth and a fifth-round um, pick for a Super Bowl? Are you kidding? The GM of the yeah. year? Hello? Absolutely. Yeah, the, Absolutely. The, the Chiefs, in that second, you know, the Eagles got the ball back. They were driving and then the 45 yard you know bomb hits and it's over double coverage and you're thinking oh my gosh this chief secondary is going to kill it for us again and then it comes i think the pivotal play of the game the Nick Bolton 36 yard fumble return where Jalen Hurts just kind of drops the ball the way the eagles responded was extremely impressive they ran hurts on the very next play they get a four-yard rush to get the 21-14 lead, and then they immediately get the stop of the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes goes down. They drive right down the field. They get a 35-yard field goal. They're ahead 24-14 at the half. And if you're a Chiefs fan watching Patrick Mahomes limp heavily off of the field, you're thinking, man, this is a problem. And there is no reason to believe that the Eagles were not going to do anything other than come out and continue to build that advantage in the second half, especially if Pat Mahomes can't play. Yeah, and and I felt like as he was limping off the field, um, all the momentum was in the Eagles' favor. Oh, yeah. Um, they, They controlled the clock, controlled the ball, um, the Chiefs defense couldn't get off the field. There were multiple drives where the Eagles were running, what, 12, 13, 14 play drives, and it was going five, six, seven minutes a time. Uh, they were doing whatever they wanted. And again, going back to what Nick Sirianni does and his philosophy, uh, you just knew that even if it was a third and eight or nine, even if they didn't get the first down, you knew they were more than likely going to go for it. And so, you know, it was constantly four down territory. And I just remember thinking if, if something doesn't change here and if Patrick Mahomes is injured, uh, I don't know how you stop him. I don't know how you get the ball back. I don't know what you do. And again, 
credit to the adjustments and credit to the Chiefs. Number one, they got the ball back uh, right after halftime and promptly marched down the field and scored. That was a must-score drive. They had to have that. If they had punted on that opening drive after halftime, the game's done uh, because you had to maximize every single opportunity in the second half, and, and they did well, that. Well, you mentioned that. Uh, how is going 4-for-4 four four on drives and also the Chiefs scored a touchdown Every single time they were in the red zone in this game, except for the one time that they meant to not score a touchdown right. in the red right. zone in this game. So in the third quarter, you mentioned the huge drive to come back. Philadelphia was able to answer it to keep that buffer there uh, against Kansas City. Uh, but the Chiefs defense, that was the first big stop that they got. And you were wondering how aggressive is Coach Sirianni going to be for Philly? He ended up kicking the field goal there. They did not go for it. That made it a six-point game, 27-21. And then the Kadarius Tony five-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes. Harrison Butker kicks to give the Chiefs the lead, 28-27. Then the Chiefs' defense gets another stop. They get the ball back. The Chiefs score again. The four-yard pass from Sky Moore, and he – I. I critical defensive mistake by the Eagles on that one where he is as wide open as any professional receiver that I have ever seen is. I mean, those had to be the three touchdown passes for Patrick Mahomes. The, the Kelsey one was very impressive. The other two had to be the easiest throws in the history of football because the Chiefs out-schemed the Eagles so horrifically on those two plays I could have thrown those touchdown passes. I could have un thrown yeah. those underhand. The, the, the Eagles were so out of position. And I don't know if that was a defensive mistake. I don't know if that was the play design. But, you know, but credit Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. The Chiefs had the Eagles on ice skates in that game because they did not cover those well at all. And the Chiefs absolutely yeah. took advantage. I honestly didn't have any issue with the way that the Eagles defended the Kadarius Tony one because that was a completely different look than what the Chiefs had thrown out there all sure. game long. They hadn't done anything like that whatsoever. And Kadarius Tony, in fact, none of the wide receivers had any kind of impact in the first half. Travis Kelsey cut a touchdown, but other than that, like, I, I mean, MVS was non existent. I think he had one target the entire game. Juju Smith-Schuster didn't have any catches. I mean, like Nobody did anything in the first half whatsoever. All of a sudden, they throw something different at the Eagles' defense in the red zone for the Kadarius-Tony touchdown, and you're like, okay, blown coverage, but I can, I can understand it because it was just a completely different look. Then they do the exact same thing, but on the other side of the field with the Sky, Sky Moore. Moore. And at that point, it's like, okay, maybe you guys should have adjusted a little bit. Like, Very this was similar basically action. the same play, right, just on the other side of the field. Uh, but, you know, that to the credit of, of the offensive scheming for Kansas City, it seemed to work. And they had them, they, they, they had the, the Eagles defense in the second half kind of tied in knots when that really hadn't been the case in the first half. So then we move on to the end of the game where the Kansas City Chiefs get. That uh, they get burned by the Eagles on a big pass play to get the ball down inside the five yard line, and Hertz is able to go in and score. And so the Chiefs are needing to burn some clock. They want to get a scoring drive, and Kadarius Tony comes up with the longest punt return in the history of the Super Bowl, 65 yards. Didn't quite get it into the bin, but 
set up the Chiefs. They could be extremely comfortable. It it took basically 90% of the pressure off of the Chiefs. Not that there wasn't pressure because, I mean, I was watching the game and, you know, it's a chip shot field goal, the easiest field goal that you could ever ask for as a kicker. And I'm thinking, you know, Harrison Butker's missed some extra points. And, you know, yeah. it's like, oh my, this is the, he has got to be in the pressure cooker right now because you can't, you know, this is a Lynn Elliott kind of a moment if you miss this field goal. Sure. And he and he obviously he didn't, but all of that was set up by Kadarius Tony. It took so much pressure off of the offense, off of the skill players, off of Mahomes, off the play callers, off Andy Reid. When you were able to get down inside the red zone on one big play, and you know there were there was a a period in that play where it looked like man this might go for a negative play, but the Chiefs blocked it spectacularly down the near side of the field as you were watching on television, and, and that was was certainly a huge huge swing in this game another one of the swings yeah you're yeah you're you're always concerned on plays like that for a, a block in the back or a oh, hold or something always whenever that play whenever a punt return goes big or even a kick return goes big you're always concerned about that um no flags uh and and that that reason that right there that's why you bring over Kadarius Tony you know he can do a lot uh, in at the wide receiver position and the potential is there. The ceiling is there, but he, where he has been proven over the course of his relatively short career in the NFL is he's a, a high caliber punt returner. And that was something that Kansas city had desperately needed all season long, you know, the like a couple of years, that, you know, Unfortunately, Sky Moore was thrust into a position that was not his normal fit as the punt returner, and he's a rookie, and he's muffing punts, and I feel bad for him, and he got some you know, redemption in the Super Bowl by catching his first touchdown pass of the entire season, yep. so that was great, uh, but you know, they needed... They needed a jolt in the arm earlier in the season at that punt returner position. The entire special teams unit deserves a pat on the back because they there were big issues throughout the course of the entire season with Harrison Butker and his health and Tommy Townsend holding kicks and punt returns and you know just other little things that were unlike what Dave Tobe has preached during his time as a special teams coordinator at Kansas City. So that was that was really great to watch kind of that, that redemption uh, for special teams in that game. And it set things up really nicely for them on that final drive. And, and I think not only did the, the yardage that they gained, you know, play a huge role in it, but also knowing that the whole goal and with the timeout situation, the whole goal was like, we're not going to let the Eagles touch the football again. Uh, And so that they were able to really have the entire playbook and a lot of time to really figure out what they were going to do. I do think, though, and I, you know, of course, I don't think we can do this entire show without at least mentioning it. We can't gloss over the call, uh, and and that was critical in that moment. Well, and and there's been so much discussed about that call and how it was, you know, the time of the game it was happened based on some other. calls in the game you know the the Chiefs had a guy that kind of got spun around in his route looking like a pretty obvious offense or defensive pass interference by the Eagles that was not called earlier and so you know un- unapologetic Eagles fan says well if that's not DPI then this can't be holding and all you know all this other junk I mean he had you know to me he held him not just once, he held him twice on the route. I mean, the jersey is getting pulled over like this. You know, it's easy for me to say I'm wearing a Chiefs jersey. You can see it here in the in the camera, you know, so I'm not saying that I'm unbiased. The defender said it was a hold. And, and, and very interesting. 
that in a game that Chiefs fans were so uneasy about Carl Cheffers being the referee. <laughs> yeah. It's a flag against the Eagles at the end of the game. That was huge. It, it certainly did not necessarily on its own change the outcome of the game because the Chiefs are going to get... There's no reason to think that the Chiefs are not going to kick a field goal there. Um, it's going to come down. The Eagles are going to have a possession, obviously, with, uh, what, zero? They're, they won't have any timeouts. One timeout, they'll have one timeout. The Eagles one timeout, have, about probably, what, like a minute like left? Like a minute or and, under, or yeah, minute minute and 15, a minute and somewhere in that yeah. range. So they certainly have an opportunity to win the game. Jalen Hurts had played amazing. So certainly yeah. the end of the game changes dramatically when the Chiefs get to run an additional series of plays and and you know slow things down they force the Eagles to use their last timeout and they're able to bleed it all the way down to eight seconds or whatever it was um, but to me you know watching it I mean the Chiefs are trying to throw him the ball he's prevented from getting off of his route twice I mean based on how they've called I understand if you say but Blake I've seen way worse than that not called and I get it I totally understand it because I've seen the same thing where you'll see a guy and there's a fistful of jersey and it's getting yanked and they miss it. I totally understand it. But based on how they have called it all season, that is holding on the defense, especially when you're trying to throw the ball to that guy. Right. And I'm not I'm gonna sit here and, you know, absolutely admit I'm looking at this through rose uh, We both are as, as a Chiefs fan. If you're right? wanting unbiased I'm not, analysis, right, I'm on not this, unbiased. You're in the wrong but, place here. Right. But I think that there are two different things at play here. Uh number one, was it a penalty? Absolutely it was a penalty. Yes. Uh Juju Smith Schuster said it was a penalty. James Bradbury said it was a penalty. Uh, Carl Sheffer says it was a penalty. Like it was a penalty. A penalty is a penalty is a penalty. It's a penalty regardless when it happens, regardless of the stage, regardless of the opponent, regardless of the time in the game and the impact. A penalty is a penalty is a penalty. That's one thing. So I don't think I don't I cannot debate, and I'm not going to debate anybody that says that was not holding. No, it was, it was holding. holding. It was holding. Part number two is. Was it consistent on the ways that the rest of the game was called? And so I do I do understand Eagles fans in that moment saying there have been far worse that had not been called the entire game. And in that moment, it was it was the call consistent with the way the rest of the game was officiated. And I don't know because I wasn't there and I didn't watch every I single time for a that, wide receiver sure. on either team was up against a defender and the way that routes were being ran and the way that defenders on either team were defending play. So I can't speak to that. I don't know. So I can't say definitively unless I went back and watched the all 22 every single play and said, all right, they were allowing a ton of physicality the entire game on both sides. And based on that, that was going uncalled, that one probably shouldn't have been called in that moment. So I, I get that. I understand it. But I don't have enough evidence to be able to back that up. But what I do know is that it was a penalty by definition, by the rules. It was a penalty. And there's no debate on and, that. And, and by how it has been called in the majority of games for the majority of the yeah. year, for the majority of the teams. That That, that is a fact. Um, the other thing, by the way, on that, uh, and, and this is kind of where salty, you know, Kansas City fan who just won the Super Bowl is going to speak up here. Maybe, Philly fans, if your team didn't blow a double-digit second-half lead for only the second time ever in Super Bowl history, yeah. you wouldn't have been in that position Ooh. to where you feel like the game was determined based on that call. Oh, Tommy, just saying. From the top saying. rope. <laughs> 
Just saying. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, people, it's amazing how many people pointed to that and just forgot about, oh, uh, Jalen Hurts fumbled. Uh, yeah. That was, that, I mean, seven free points the other way. And there were other, you know, Chiefs made mistakes. I mean, like we said at the end of the game, that missed field goal for, uh, for Budker could have been ab- it looked like down the stretch that like man this is going to cost the chiefs a lot more than they were hoping even if that penalty hadn't have happened that third that that three point that kick the miss kick by butker absolutely could have played in because yeah. the chiefs would have had assuming they kicked the field goal there a six point lead and you would have forced the eagles to go down and score yes. a touchdown rather than only needing a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime so you know regardless like there was a lot at stake right in that moment at the end of the day the, the good thing is I got I got uh, some people talking to me about that at work today. Like, oh, the referees were the MVP and all this other. At the end of the day, Tommy, you know what? It doesn't matter what you doesn't think. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you know, as Mitch Holtis said, you know, you can dis you can doubt the Chiefs, you can dislike the Chiefs, you can disrespect the Chiefs. You're gonna have to deal with the Chiefs. Because Tommy, the other, I want to go pivot to another thing that I heard on a, a sports talk radio station here in Wichita. I don't think it was yours. Uh, it doesn't really matter which okay, one it was. Good. It was a national. <laughs> it wasn't me. Was no, it, it wasn't was a, me. This talking? was a national no. pundit. It was pretty okay. hilarious to me driving home at midnight after the game, and I'm hearing guys on the radio. This is what they're paid to do, and somehow these guys have national jobs covering the Super Bowl, and they're saying on the air well i could see the bengals beating them next year i could see that i don't think it's a dynasty i think the bills will get them next year i think the ravens gonna make a move on them this year well here's what happened this year here's what happened this season the raiders loaded up the chargers loaded up the Broncos brought in a Super Bowl quarterback. The Bengals were ready. You told us that the Bills were ready. And all the Chiefs did was get rid of the best wide receiver in the league. And you said, well, the, the, there's no way that the offense can be better. Oh, I mean, you mean the offense that has more yards this year? Oh, no, you mean the offense that has more more passing touchdowns? No, no, no. You mean the offense that has more total yards this, this year? That offense? The, the, the last year? This is the offense? And so, what are you talking about on the day that the Chiefs win the Super Bowl for the second time in four years? They've hosted five five straight AFC championships, which, uh, Tommy, um, if you could do some quick research, how many times has that happened in, in the history hmm. of the league? I mean, I think I can look at it pretty quick. I don't think it's ever it's happened never, zero times. So what are you talking about? Uh, the Bengals and the Bills? I, listen, I'm not I'm not here saying that the Chiefs' road to uh, back-to-back Super Bowls and to a dynasty is paved on the yellow brick road or through the power and light district because I do think that the Ravens are going to be better. I think that, uh, that the Chargers are going to be better. I don't think the Chiefs automatically win the division next year. I think the Chargers are going to be very good. Sean Payton going to the Broncos is going to be very interesting to see. And I don't think that Joe Burrow is going to fall off a cliff. I don't think Josh Allen's falling off a cliff. I think the AFC is going to be a tough, tough test next year for the Chiefs. But for you to come out and say... It's a gauntlet. For you to come out and say that the Chiefs next year, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't even be favored because of all these other teams. What are you you on? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, let, let let me speak a little bit of truth here. Um, Thank you. (laughs) The this is the nature of the beast in the NFL. 
this has happened forever. Like Joe Montana is in his prime. And in that, in that moment, everybody is talking, not talking about Joe Montana as much as who's the next Joe Montana, who's going to dethrone Joe Montana. Same thing with Peyton Manning. Who's going to be the next Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, who's going to be the next Tom Brady. Like it's, it's never about who's in it right now. It's always about who's going to be next. It's not about the dragon. It's about who's going to slay the dragon, right? The chiefs are the dragon. They are officially the dragon. It's not back in 2019 when they were playing that first AFC championship game inside Arrowhead Stadium and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and Bill Belichick beat the Chiefs in overtime to go to the Super Bowl. The Patriots were the dragon. 100%. The Chiefs were trying to slay the dragon. It's different now. The Chiefs are the dragon. I'm not, not so going to lie, Tommy. You I kind of like being the dragon. <laughs> You know, so why? But you can absolutely and I can understand everyone wanting to talk about who's going to be next. Is it going to be Joe Burrow? Is it going to be Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts? Who is going to be next? But right now at the top of the mountain and at the summit, it's Patrick Mahomes. And you know what? Here's the other thing I've noticed. Not really from Patrick Mahomes because he's always a gracious and humble kind of guy. But I've noticed throughout this season and the postseason Travis Kelsey has gone full heel turn, and I am here for it. I love it. He's calling out the Cincinnati mayor. He's getting on the microphone after the game on this, during the Super Bowl and, and said, put some respect on our name. Nobody thought we were fight. going to be here. Like, I love it because, let's face it, the Chiefs are the villains now. In the same way that the Patriots were the villains during the Tom Brady Bill Belichick dynasty dynasty. The Chiefs are the villains now and until somebody else can come up, I'm going to tell you right now, as long as Andy Reid 15 and 87 are there, the Chiefs are not going to willingly give up that crown. No. Somebody is going to have to go take it from them. So I have no issue with national pundits or even other fan bases saying, you know what? I think we got it. I think I think we I think we're in a good position because that's all they've got to hang their hat on is what can we do to try to wrestle that crown away from the team that is at the very top of the heap and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Patrick Mahomes is 27 years old. He's got a long time to go. And so of course you're going to have especially teams in the same division trying to load up to do whatever they can to dethrone the Kansas City Chiefs. Other teams in the entire league are on notice now that they're not going anywhere. And so, well, not only again, that, I've got no issue the other with thing, the pundits being like, yeah, I think that they, they've got it because that's all they have to hang their hat on. If all they did was talk about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs all day, every day, all day, every day, like you're going to hear them talk about how great the Cowboys are and the Cowboys are garbage, but that's what the national media does. But until somebody can go take it away, it, it is what it is. You know what the other amazing thing is Tommy tell me Patrick Mahomes wasn't even 100% he wasn't even healthy yeah he was not even healthy and all of this um, all of these amazing things happened for Kansas City to wrap up on this topic um, let's do look ahead to next year two major things that I think about when I look ahead to next season Sean Payton and what does he bring to Denver 
That's a divisional rival. Can he revive, you know, Russell Wilson's career or do they go in another direction? The other thing that comes to mind, you know what what name we did not say at all during the show? Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, his time in Kansas City is over. He is done. And that which brings me to another thought. What if Isaiah Pacheco gets better next season? What if he starts developing into not just a really nice running back? What if he becomes a great running back and develops more in the passing game, becomes a better runner? What if the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line improves by the same amount from last season to this season? What if they do that again going into next season? You know, the Chiefs don't know what the contract situation is on everybody. Don't even want to get into that. But, you know, if the Chiefs can improve in these ways, and you mentioned how they have brought guys in, you know, they didn't go out and get max level guys. They didn't go out and sign people to these huge, obscene contracts. They brought in these guys on these little deals. And they brought guys in that had been written off, that other people didn't want, who wanted to be here and wanted to be a part of what's happening in Kansas City. So I feel like financially for Kansas City, you know, you have got a lot of those guys. You've got Patrick Mahomes locked up. You've got Isaiah Pacheco. He's going to be here for a while. Um, You've got the new deal for Stone Cold Jones. So there's a lot of pieces that are locked up and going to be under Chiefs control for a while. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, I think the Chiefs are going to be moving on from some guys who are not really – fitting the program anymore. Um, so your thoughts on all that and, and, and any final thoughts that you have on, uh, on the third Super Bowl victory for the Chiefs? Yeah, so I think that, you know, to your point, it's um, absolutely the contract situation um, and, and figuring all of that out. But I've got zero doubt that Brett Veach is going to find a way to make it all work. And it's it's not nearly like we're not talking about the kind of retooling or rebuilding that everybody said the Chiefs were going to have a year ago. This is a lot simpler, which is good. There are still some decisions to be made. But on top of that, keep in mind, we mentioned this last week on the show, that there were, what, 24 out of 53 guys on that 53-man roster that were not with the team a year ago? Yeah. 10 of them were rookies, and four of them started in the Super Bowl. And, I, and I'm going to look specifically on the defensive side of the ball. You could see a legitimate uh, improvement in the way that the defense played with chock full of rookies and really young guys as the season went on. And, you know, they were terrible to start the year. And as the year went on, the latter half of the regular season into the playoffs, there was marked improvement, especially on that side of the ball and especially from the young guys. They've got another year under their belt. They've got a year in, in a lot of cases for the rookies right now. So I would imagine that they're going to be even better next year because they've been there before. They know how to do it. That experience is going to be paramount for the development and the success of the defense. And that's really what this team is all about. You pay the top guys, your Patrick Mahomes and whatnot, and then you draft well and you go find free agents that are going to fit what you're trying to do, but you're not going to break the bank on them. And that's been the way it's worked so far to a ton of success for Kansas City. And you know what? Good on Denver, I guess, trying to bring in Sean Payton. 
I don't think it's going to work between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, but God bless them for trying. God bless them for dumping a ton of money in uh, and giving away all their draft capital to bring in Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, but it ain't going to work. But I look forward to them trying. Uh, don't, don't forget, Blake, that the Kansas City Chiefs have 12, 12 picks in the upcoming NFL draft. 12 that they get to play with. In seven rounds, they have 12 and so you're going to see some new faces. And if the last if last year and the last couple of years are any indication, you're probably going to see a handful of these guys make immediate impacts and contributions next season. So the core stays intact, remains the same. But I think that you've got a ton of pressure off the shoulders for guys like Mahomes and Kelsey and Reed because they got their second Super Bowl. They're kind of playing with house money now. Like the, you don't have to worry about like, are they going to get the second one? No, they got it. They got it. And yep. they can go out and they can play free and easy and i'm looking forward to it some of the big names that are going to be on the free agent block travis kelsey is not one of them he's still got one more year left with the team uh, after this year and orlando brown and andrew wiley both on the offensive line major names to watch in the offseason if you're into that sort of thing orlando brown still has a franchise tag option so the chiefs could franchise tag him to keep him around juju smith schuster has a franchise tag option to keep him in kansas city you've also got jarek mckinnon mccall hardman Derek naughty uh, chad henney decided to retire uh, into the sunset Congratulations, Chad. Can uh, I give you my prediction on what's going to happen here? I think that Eric Bieniemy finds a job elsewhere. I think Matt Nagy becomes Washington, correct? Yep. I think Matt Nagy becomes the offensive coordinator once again, and Chad Henney becomes the quarterbacks coach. That wouldn't shock me. That would be very, very interesting. And yeah, I, I also did want to say, uh, Tommy, where's Eric Bieniemy? Can't coach guy today. Is he? Is yeah. he around? It's the, yeah. anywhere to be found the Eric Bieniemy. Oh, oh, may, oh, maybe he can coach. I'm not saying that he's not the worst interviewer in the history of college uh, of professional coaches. Uh, maybe that's why he's not getting a job. But like, don't tell me that he can't coach at this point. Yeah, just 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 stop. It's not even worth me addressing. Um, defensively, Juan Thornhill is a guy that is uh, going to be on the top on the chopping block. Tommy Townsend has been a great punter for the Chiefs. Those are just some of the names that you should be paying attention to for Kansas City. So uh, another Super Bowl championship for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Tommy, anything else you want to, you know, there's plenty of other stuff that we could talk about. The Shockers getting a big overtime victory against SMU. That did not look pretty. Uh, Poto continues to just be on another planet right now, and they win it in overtime. Uh, Kansas State coming back to beat TCU, and then unfortunately kind of laying an egg against Texas Tech. How many times have we seen this in the Big 12 where like, well, they're going to catch KU. It's going to happen. And then they just lose the big games down the stretch. KU finds a way to win. They obliterate Oklahoma in that game. And so, you know, KU near the end of the season, right where they want to be. And all of a sudden for Kansas State, they're like one of their last four in the Big 12. Now, I'm not saying that we should read a ton into this because that schedule has been brutal. And, you know, the Texas Tech team is and still in the top 80 and probably the net, they're probably going to be in the top 70 now that they've beaten Kansas State. So it's not like you can just show up and win anywhere in the Big 12. But uh, Kansas State, I think, probably are some legit questions. Like, how good is this team actually? Meanwhile, Kansas 
putting things together in Wichita State, I'm sure the Shocker fans are not sure what to think after that SMU win. Yeah, I mean, just real quick, Wichita State, I mean, you had to have it, right? Uh, you had to have that victory. Yeah. Uh, it was, they, they can't hold the lead. They, they've not been able to nope. for a while now. Um, but, you know, they, they get the victory, and, and every win right now, um, it, you're playing for pride. It matters. You're playing for pride and for the future of the program. You're not playing for a conference championship, but you're playing for pride and the future. So they had to have that one. Kansas State, you know, playing in Lubbock is a really difficult place to play, even if the Red Raiders are at the bottom They're of the down Big 12. This year, though. You know, pl- playing in that arena is always a difficult place to go and play. Um, I think that the Wildcats have come back to earth a little bit, but I don't have overwhelming concerns about them uh, because I do think that they have outperformed any kind of expectations so far this season, but yeah, they're coming back down to earth a little bit, which might've been, you know, expected to an extent um, because you can't ride that way forever with a brand new program. So I get that and I can excuse it to an extent. And then KU, yeah, playing, you know, complete basketball uh, on the road against Oklahoma. And by the way, the Sooners played um, the Jayhawks relatively close when they came to Lawrence a couple weeks ago. Yeah, they did. Um, so that was a, a good win on the road for the Jayhawks against a, a, a desperate Oklahoma team that was on the bubble. I'm not sure they're on the bubble anymore, but they were on the bubble uh, and kind of desperate with a lot of talent and great Sherfield and the Groves brothers. They're good players. And Porter Mosier, Porter Mosier has a good program there in Norman. So, you know, just kind of a, a real quick, like thoughts on all three of them. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so next week on the show, uh, well, I guess we do have to do uh, one other piece of business. Of course, it's time for us to hit the music time to go around Wichita for a Wichita whip around. I will start Tommy. Uh, We have to talk at some length about Kansas women's basketball. This team continues to outperform under Coach Snyder. Tiana Jackson, second Big 12 player uh, of the week honor in a row for this team. She's got now 16 double-doubles on the year. She's averaging 19 points and 11 rebounds per game last week. She shot 75% from the field. She's going like Yudoka as a buki on these ladies, okay? So they, they dump trucked over TCU. Now I'm not going, you know, I, I, the same way that we should not pump we should not pump the brakes too hard on Kansas State. Let's not go crazy for KU because they had had a pretty bad stretch. They had lost 4 of 5 and then after beating Kansas State, that was a big victory over the Wildcats. They came back, they lost to Baylor. They were close losses, two four-point losses. So again, not not to go too far, but they had lost three of four. They lost at Hilton to a top 25 Iowa State team, uh, but they come back and they beat TCU. They come back and they beat Texas Tech. They've got West Virginia coming up uh, later this week, I think on Wednesday. That is at Morgantown, but Tiana Jackson is part of this KU program, Tommy. Uh, she has been playing very, very well for the Crimson and Blue. I don't have uh, any Wichita whip around you don't for have to. this show we, you don't um, or any additions. I guess so I do. I have an addition that is not um, really related to, to sports at all. But, you know, why not? What do you think of Rihanna? Uh, that, that's actually a good point for this segment. Um, so at the time when I was watching, uh, I didn't know that she was pregnant. Um, apparently, apparently she, I read that she was, and now maybe, you know, this is the internet. I have, we have not verified this. Um, so I thought that the dancing was like, like, I feel like Rihanna can do better. Also, I joked around (laughs) like, man, if you had the over on costume changes, 
you got hosed in the oh, Super yeah. Bowl because I thought for sure, like over under is probably three and a half, and it's like it's Rihanna, like she's gonna go over two two and a half or three and a half costume changes, right? Yeah. I, I was very happy to not have any action on the Super Bowl except for the action that I placed on October. Uh, I beg your pardon, August third, two thousand and twenty-two. For the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, uh, that paid out uh, pretty nicely, Tommy. I was Me too. Glad to I had see that, that one too. I had that the, one too. Uh, how good. about while we're here on the sports entertainment portion of the program, um, what about your thoughts? Best commercial? Um, you know, I honestly didn't really love any of them. I think maybe the one that I liked the best was maybe the Breaking Bad one the for pop the pop chips. Here. That was probably the yeah. That was probably the only one that stuck out to me. Uh, I will say, didn't really want to make me drink the beer. I- I'm kind of interested in that golf Netflix documentary though. Yeah, I same think here. I'm, I am very interested to see what that's about. Um, the other thing, my favorite commercial, it was in the first break. Dunkin' Donuts with Ben Affleck and and <laughs> yeah. uh, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I like. I thought because you know you always get that where like the first thing that you see it just gets that you know it's ingrained in your brain. I don't know if being first or last is best you know in interviews and things, but that one was the that led wire to wire for me. It was the leader in the clubhouse when I first saw it <laughs> at the end of the game. Like yeah, that's the best ad. And yeah, like you, I think for the most part that ads have been going downhill for years in the Super Bowl. Like, you know, compared to the glory days of the 90s when you had the the Budweiser frogs and, the, you know, the the Bud Ice Doobie Penguin and um, <laughs> what's that, you know, all this stuff, the, the, the golden age of Super Bowl advertisements. It's just, you know, you'd think that we would get better at making ads, but we haven't. You're a marketing guy. Defend no, your industry. Well, we I don't really have a defense. I think that there have been there's been a, a an overabundance of movie trailers and TV show trailers. Like that was like they, half they of the ads, heavy, a yes. ton of them. Uh, well, you know, and it is what it is, and and people are willing to shill out that kind of money to you know be able to promote the new Ant Man or Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever it is. Marvel's sure. willing to drop that kind of money, so I guess you get what you pay for. Yeah, you've got a billion dollar franchise, you can certainly afford that, and they're trying to set up something. They've had some misses on on terms of television. I'm a guy who does track the financial side a little bit on the box offices. They've had some misses, you know, and they've they've had some viewership numbers on some Disney Plus shows that haven't been as good. Now She Hulk is a little bit different because people are looking like at the total minutes and it's not as high. But you have to remember it's a half hour show. I'm still way behind, you know. That's getting very much to the point of oversaturation. But yeah, when you have billion dollar franchises, yeah, you can definitely you know spend that kind of money that kind of scratch to get the show uh to get on to the big show um that is it for us uh what a what a show for us what a win for the kansas city chiefs next week on the show we're back into basketball and we're also going to be talking about wichita state university shocker baseball and softball the seasons will be underway probably would have done our season previews next week but uh when the chiefs win the super bowl um we're allowed to break format that's just the way that it has to be so uh we are back off we're back on i should say to our every Every other week's schedule, although I would expect some program shifts around here because we're going to be getting into March, and it certainly looks like we're going to be covering KU and Kansas State in the NCAA tournament coming up here in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. I imagine we'll probably go in two weeks 
and then in two weeks again. Uh, but then we're probably going to be going every week again in the NCAA tournament. So just keep all that in mind as you try to like, share, and subscribe for us. Follow us, cogpod.com uh, and at cogpod on Twitter. I'm so thankful for everybody to be a part of the show with us and to like, share, and subscribe. Share it with your friends. Share it with your Chiefs fans for this one. So really appreciate everybody being here. Tommy, before we sign off, how can people follow you on Twitter for our beloved audio listeners? Well, you can follow me and all of my takes attacking Eagles fans uh, on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. Absolutely. You can follow mine at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. That is it. The Chiefs are champions, and we'll see you next time on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, everybody, and go Chiefs. How about them Chiefs? You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.